Hello and welcome to the HVP podcast. This is your host, Arden Castle. The new Photo Voice issue is upon us, and we have a bunch of episodes exploring this special issue, guest hosted by Dr. Bob Strack and Dr. Robin Evans Agnew. We will be back to our full range of HPP topics on April 20th, so that's seven weeks jam-packed with Photo Voice explorations, so please enjoy. Hello and welcome to the second series of Exploring Photo Voice, the Journal of Health Promotion Practices special series of podcasts on people, power and photo voice, the little method that could change the world. My name's Robin Evans-Agnew and I'm joined here with co-editor Bob Strack. How you doing, Bob? Good to see you. Doing great. I'm glad we're back at it. Oh my gosh, it's been a whole year and HPP are letting us back on the podcast. Can't believe it. We've been working on this special issue, totally devoted to photo voice. And for those of you new to photo voice, it's a participatory visual method where participants take and discuss photos on health promotion issues relevant to their lives and then act to change them through raising awareness, mitigation of the problems or transformation of the policies that oppress. And as a companion to this special issue, honestly, we are super excited about this special issue. You'll hear more about it in this series of podcasts that are coming up. We wanted to introduce you to some of the ideas and people inside of this issue with a brief opportunity to chat about their experiences with the method, the people they work with, and their thoughts about the roots and the frontiers of application for changing the world. So now it's time to meet my amazing co-editor, the inimitable Bodstrack, who will be introducing our special guest today, Mikiko. Thanks, Robin. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm really glad we're getting back into these podcasts, back into these fun conversations with people doing the work, the photo voice work around the world. In this case, we have an international author, an international researcher, Mikiko Ono, who's from Tokyo and has done a project with an elementary school that I just fell in love with. Mikiko is a health researcher and educator in Tokyo that works for the National Institute for Advanced Industry Science and Technology. And we just found out as we were getting ready for the chat that her work and this one elementary school is now branched out to other elementary schools and the work is continuing. And so we'll get to have a little conversation, get inside of what happened. Totally giddy. Welcome, Mikiko. Thank you. I honestly was. I was tripping on that idea that you are continuing to do this work. So folks, reading this paper will just give you a heads up of some of the really innovative work that Mikiko is doing inside the work. But can you talk a little bit about why you decided to use Photo Voice? So I started using the photo voice in around 2015 when I had a chance to teach five classes for fifth graders as a guest teachers. And I wanted to use photo voice because I thought it could be used to identify specific locations that need to be fixed to prevent injuries. Awesome. And just so that our listening audience knows that you have some background to photo voice. You heard about photo voice when you were studying here in the States. Yeah. That's yes. a kind of strange time. professor that we should know about. Who's Which the we didn't know. We had no idea until you, you told us. And so, yeah, that's storytelling. So I had the photo voice project right before I just came back to Japan. I had a photo voice project with Dr. Rowe. And that's Dr. Kathleen Rowe. Kathleen Rowe, yeah. <laughs> Journal of Health Promotion Practice. Nico happened to be one of her students in San Jose State. <laughs> awesome. I had a great experience through that. The 
Kathy wrote for the voice project. And after I came back to Japan, I was looking for the opportunity to use photo voice to promote the health for children. So at that time, I didn't know I'm going to involved with the injury prevention project, but I knew I'm going to do the photo voice in Japan. Isn't that funny? I mean, it's sort of like one of the things that we were talking offline just before we started to record was Makiko was telling me, Bob, that one of the things that Kathy was able to do in terms of educating was to really encourage her students to get out and meet people, mm-hmm. right? Something as simple as that, right? And I wonder too whether Photo Voice really helped you get closer to the kids that you were working with. You really got a chance to see their lives, right? Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about your project. What were you most proud of? Give us a little snapshot of the project and the things that you talk about in the paper. The people kind of know what you were trying to do. I would say my class working with together with children actually brought a social change. This is what I discussed in this journal, but children wrote a letter to the school principal and principal talked to the board of education and they got a budget for modifying a slippery floor and this is a long process it takes about like year and year and a half but it's just amazing experience for me so slippery floor right Mm -hmm. okay so true confession makiko when bob and i saw this paper i went a slippery floor and Bob told he grabbed me by the collar and said a slippery floor do you realize how big a deal that is she got a <laughs> policy change look at that photo and we saw the photos and I went back and I looked at those photos and you know I went Bob's right there is something here in this paper of what you were able to do so so break it down how did you get the kids talking about injury prevention in the school how did you get them taking these types of photos what prompts did you do how did you set it up what were the classes like all those sorts of things maybe you can start with where you start in the paper because i think you were invited into the school right they were looking for an opportunity through a safety measure to do something and so they saw you as a resource and you came in with knowledge and you proposed this idea to the teachers and then carried it out. So that's sort of your starting point. And then sort of take it from there so that the listeners can understand how you went through the process. So some school is applying to get certified for international safe school program. And sometimes the city wants the school to get the international certificate mm-hmm. for the school that they are trying to improve the school environment to prevent injuries. So the school won't promote the school safety, but the teacher in general, they don't know about the injury because they don't know how to prevent. It's just like, let's say, they need to be careful to not to get injury, but it's not the science. It's just, uh, well, of course, it's important to pay attention not to get injury, but it's not really scientific method to prevent injury. So we know that we want to teach, especially to me, I want to teach children how to prevent injury, like in the science-based. So I want to identify the location that need to be fixed. 
And the teacher needs to know what they need to modify by teaching to children. And also they need to get that professional modification to get the safety score. So I talk about three E's for injury prevention. It's engineering, education, and enforcement. We call the three E's for injury prevention. So we teach them that's the way to prevent injury at school. It's not just education alone is not so effective to prevent injury. So we need to have a three approach. They understand the concept of the three E, but they don't know how to use it. So I decided to use photo voice to identify the risk and also how to apply three E's related to that photo. It's kind of like easy to visualize what they need to do for children and also for the teacher. The teacher needs to know what they need to do to improve the school environment. And you talked about a passive intervention. So you're talking about educating the children, but then the passive environmental change intervention. And you described what I thought was interesting. You were trying to teach the kids the bird's eye view. So you gave them iPads and sent them out to, in their own way, find things that they thought after your three R lesson, what was injurious. How did that play out? How did the kids take to that assignment of wandering around and taking the photos with the iPads? Because in Japan, we don't have a lot of time to learn about injury, especially for in the school system. They don't have, uh, only they have like, uh, I don't know, a short time to teach or learn about injury. But they spend a lot of time at school and they don't think about injury at school. I was like, oh, wait a minute. It's kind of like a strange story. They have so many injuries happened. I mean, the injury occurs at school and they need to know how to prevent injury, but they don't have any opportunity to learn about their health. So I thought we need to do something to promote school safety because for school children, they have a power to learn how to protect themselves if we teach them how to do it. So they all came back with their photos and then you used an R map. I don't think everybody knows what an R map is. You can maybe tell people. And when you look at the paper, for those who are listening, haven't had a chance to read it. It demonstrates where the pictures land on this R map to figure out what they want to fix, right? And Mm -hmm. one item in particular, issue in particular, kind of rose to the top. Talk about the R map and what that was. So R map is used in Japan, kind of like a risk assessment tool. We have severity of injury. Well, that's what I decided, but the severity of injury in the horizontal line Mm -hmm. and the frequency of injury in the vertical line and the student located their pictures that they took where their picture are placed on the map. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was That's great. awesome. It's a two by two square drawing, but I've never seen it used with kids. We use it in nursing for other things, but the sort of two by two diagram, what a clever way to get kids engaged with because they brought the photos back right and they talk about the photos in the class and then they put them on the map there's our map and then they argue about where it should go right Mm -hmm. or they talk they discuss Mm -hmm. they have a dialogue 
it's very interesting to listen how they change their place by their discussions. They once they place on their pictures on the two by two map, and sometimes the other students ask some questions why that student place on the map. And sometimes some students just change their minds to replace their pictures on different place on the map. So it's very interesting process to learn about the risk and benefit and how we can prioritize the risk and the issue that they need to take action first. So it, it's interesting method to use the R map. There you go, Robin, right there in the description of the use of the R map, we've got free area and consciousness raising, right? The conversation, the root causes, the like the debate and dialogue about causes of the problems. It's all that's classic free area. And in a very, it's, of course, it's a micro environment of the school, but it's beautifully displayed in your in your approach. I think also, I just want to jump on the R map yeah. just one more because it's the image too, Makiko. Right? If when R maps are used in Japanese schools, we don't use them over here. But when R maps are used in Japanese schools, are they always used with an image, or was the image really the innovation that you brought to it through the photo voice? This is the first time. Well, my research team got the idea to, because we don't use the two by two diagram for injury prevention. We use the risk assessment for some other field. It, it's a, let me check. We, I think the R map is usually used. Because um, I'm thinking, Bob, uh, while Mikiko looks for this, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking that that power of the image is that fundamental piece. I mean, Freire had, one image, right, drawn mm-hmm. inside a discussion group. Mm-hmm. But here you've got kids with multiple images and there's more to sort of play around with in their heads when they're juggling these different sort of concepts. What's happening more often? What's the frequency? What's the severity? They're handling, they're juggling these two concepts, but suddenly having it on a physical map with this physical image printed out from an iPad Suddenly makes well, even even in the discussion that Mikiko talks about with the students learning from each other and kind of like, well, why did you put that picture of the soccer net with the well, because it has a big netting and kids get their foot caught in there. It's like, well, I never got my foot caught in there. And so now there's this dialogue, right? This dialogue and they debate and and like Mikiko said, you know, they move the picture on the arm map based on the conversation to kind of say, hey, you know, that does happen. And so now that's all that dialogue is. You're right. It's not just the image. It's the story that goes and the education that goes with it. It's kind of fun. Is that what you mean when Makiko's everybody, Makiko's still looking for this sorcery. <laughs> is that what you mean, Bob, when you're talking about passive learning? Because I'm coming from nursing, it's less common to me, but this idea that the teachers are listening to this as well. So they are getting something out of this dialogue. They're learning more about the injury risks in the schools just through watching this dialogue with the kids they're not actually doing instruction about what is dangerous and what is safe in the school they're watching it kind of materialize out of the dialogue that the kids are having. No, I, th- I think the passive conversation is really when Mikiko talks about passive intervention so like take the floor for instance and I'm, I'm speaking for you Mikiko you can probably say it as well but you know the slippery floor is a slippery floor and the kids identified that but now that it's not slippery it's a passive intervention. There's, it's there in perpetuity. It's passively doing its thing without an action, without education. 
And so I liked the concept of it, of passive intervention. I think about that with marketing and advertising and businesses. They do this kind of work all the time. You know, yeah. the passive influencing agent that makes people do something. And so I, I liked the concept. We always just say social and environmental change, but the passive intervention, I think, is a nice way to kind of describe exactly the same thing. So I think I'll definitely be using that in the future. Maybe there's a Japanese word for passive that's more acceptable than saying systems and environmental change. Well, we did say we wanted Mikiko to kind of weave some Japanese into this conversation. So we'll let her decide when that's going to happen. Did you find what you were looking for, Mikiko? Yes. So the four by four and a two by two metrics are usually used for the engineering field. And we don't use the public health field. So we had, because I, my research institute is the mainly the engineer are working. And so I got so many ideas from uh, engineering field. And sometimes I got a great idea to reapply to public health field. So this is the R map is one of the idea that I got from engineering field. So this is just we kind of create to use the R map for injury preventions. That's, that's lovely. You're the quintessential tinkerer. That's exactly what you need to do, like transfer your right. knowledge. It's beautiful. <laughs> I want to kind of get back to the actual intervention because one thing we haven't really spent time talking about is I want to hear a little bit about the students. They argued over the R map and the images and what was the most serious and most frequent sort of photo and injury moment. But then a letter was written to the principal. Talk a little bit about how that happened and what were the students excited to write a letter? Did they kind of do it because they were asked to do it? Was What was that well, process like? So because in my class, I teach about three years for injury prevention. And also I emphasize that that passive approach is the most effective way to prevent injury. But for kids themselves, they can't fix the dangerous place like they they can't modify they can't do the environmental modification by themselves because children understand that the passive approach is a very effective way to prevent injury but they don't have power to do it so they kind of like change their mind and that they are thinking about how they can get or how they can modify their school environment and they got the idea to write a letter to the principal this is what the student come up with the idea from the discussion so that is not what I said like they have to do or they can write a letter to the principal whatever they got the idea to write a letter to the principal so the principal was surprised Mm -hmm. That they received a letter, like so long letter, because uh, Mm -hmm. each student have a picture through the photo boys and they selected the risky one. But I think like a 10 or 15 pages of the letter from a student. And I didn't know the student send a letter to the principal. So the next day I called the principal that maybe she was surprised because the letter was coming from the students after they took my class. But the principal was really happy to read about the letter because she found that some important information from the letter that they, she didn't even know, but she 
have a responsibility to take action because she is a principal. And she got so, motivated. Uh, uh-huh. She got motivated to do something, didn't she? Yeah. So uh, when she had a chance to talk with the Board of Education, she brought the letter to present what they need to fix at school. And uh, one thing she was pointed out is a slippery floor because that's the most um many students identify that slippery place, the floor or dangerous place at school. So she said, because the student said, this is very dangerous. The, the slippery floor is very dangerous for the many students. And she got a letter from the student. She asked the city to get the budget to modify the floor. And it, it's just, um, it, it's a beautiful story. It, it takes long time. It's really long time. But how long? Um, how long? It was a year later, right? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I'm I curious because of the board's involvement. And I think you're right. Students learning that they need to use their voice, but try to leverage the power of other people to make the changes, which is all classic photo voice. And you know, you sounds like you led them in an empowerment kind of conversation, but sometimes an intervention in this case, let's just say the slip before can transfer to other places. And since the board was part of this, do you know of any of the other schools in the neighborhood or community also dealt with their floors? Did the students work have an influence on other schools? Do you have any idea if that happened? Well, some teacher came to observe the photo voice class that the Fujimidai Elementary School that where I work with for this project. And some teachers are interested in the photo voice project at their school. Environmental modification are not occurred often because it takes money and it's cost a lot. And it's just a huge responsibility for the teacher to modify the school environment. But it's kind of like um, at one, the school that they got an injury prevention project and then the student voice was heard by the city government and then the actually their school get safer because of their voice. Many teachers are interested in conducting the photo voice project at their school because of the fact that we got a success story through this project. I remember being kind of surprised too at the age of the kids because they were like 10 and 11 years old. And 11 years old, yeah. Bob, you've had a bit more experience than I have in terms of working with youth populations, but is that unusually young for a photo voice work or have you sort of seen it done with younger kids uh, and others? I mean, it seems quite remarkable they'd sit around and they'd write this long letter to the principal and achieve this kind of level of change. Well, that tells me that the conversation was motivating to them, that they saw that they had a story to tell, that I think just by virtue of how Mikiko set it up, it sounds like they learned that there's something that they have knowledge that needs to be shared. Yeah. And the photos helped them tell that story too, right? Did they include the photos in the letter that they sent? Mm -hmm, Of course, yes. Yeah. See, there you go, everybody. But imagine with the RMAP, especially to cut the dialogue and the discussion there, maybe you can say it better, but it sounds like that conversation, the use of that created maybe some of the stories that they put, included in the letter eventually. 
that they got some of the language, the ideas that they were going to share with the principal through the dialogue and the conversation when they were putting their photos on the art map. Is that right? Mm-hmm. She's nodding her head, everybody. <laughs> yeah. If it's you a podcast. podcast, you got to say yes. Just agree yes. with Bob. <laughs> Whatever he says, just say yes. You're absolutely right, Bob. I've got a question. Go I've got a question. So you're back in teaching the schools since you did this project. Wasn't this in like 2017, something like yeah. that? And so you've been redoing this injury prevention work in more schools out in Japan. Do you have any other sort of plans for getting other health? Uh, it seems like there's, oh, oh, the other little detail that's in the paper is that they don't have a Centers for Disease Control in Japan saying that there's one type of, here's an injury prevention curriculum that all the schools can use. So it's a lot more disaggregated than that it's more you know not all schools are doing this and there's no not necessarily national guidance so the work you're doing is really important Makiko how are you being able to spread to other schools in Japan what do you think should be the next steps for people doing health promotion like you and Japan so I always wanted to teach public health not, not only injury but the public health issues at school and after I came back to Japan, I had a lot of chances to talk with a teacher about, I want to teach about public health at school and the children need to learn important things. And, but of course, I didn't get any chance, even once. And because the school teachers are busy, of course, and they understand what I said. And of course, they knew that they want children learn about public health and its importance of the public health, but they just couldn't do it because they have so many things to do and they can't. It's very difficult to create a time for health education. That's something that's the same in both of our cultures is the teachers yeah. in the Atlantic curriculum. That's very, that's a very common story here too. Yeah. And it's a school system in Japan, maybe in the United States too, but it's very, how can I say, like, yeah, hierarchical kind of. And it's not so easy to get into the school system to teach children about health. And I explored like so many different ways to start injury prevention class. And finally, I found that there is a PE class for fifth graders that deals with injury. It's just a one unit. So I integrated our photo boys class into that existing PE class. And after found this approach, because it's easier to propose my photo boys project to school and they don't have create a new time to teach about public health. It's kind of, they need to teach something about injury. And I said, I can take that class to teach about the injury. So it become like easier to get into that school system and after that, the many school accept my suggestions. And so it's just now I have almost two, three different school for the Photo Boys project every year since 2015. And like a polished stone, you're shining the lesson and it's getting the word out and you're polishing that lesson to redo it again. That's awesome. 
Yeah. And like a true health promotion person, you Mm -hmm. shoehorn your way into the school system by finding a way in, which is, I Mm -hmm. mean, you're absolutely right. Schools are very political. There's a lot of different sort of power dynamics that you have to navigate. So it takes time. It takes a lot of time to do that. The early part, we talked about Kathy Rowe and kind of how she introduced you to this method. You were at San Jose for a period of time getting your master's degree. We've had a conversation about your project, about what happened in Japan and the school system there. What do you have to say about your education in the States and maybe where Japan needs to go in terms of health promotion, education and advancement? I am hoping, I, I don't know this is the right answer for that question, but I'm hoping that photo voice is used in many schools because it's a really powerful method for us as the researchers or as teachers or guardians to protect children, to understand children's voice. And now in Japan, like a tablet are provided to the most elementary school and the junior high school. So it's relatively easy to conduct a photo voice project in school and not so many people knows about photo voice so I hope other the health professional the promotion practitioner knows about my project and I want them to just even try to use a photo voice to promote health at school. That's just true. What we have to do is figure out a way to encourage the ones that have good English, like you, Mikiko, to be able to read the paper and to see that. And you've published elsewhere as well. So you hopefully your message is getting out to the Japanese audience, especially those in elementary and middle and high schools, so that this is really a feasible way to work with kids to empower them for improving our environments and improving health. The last things that I want to say is it's just a, it's amazing experience to see how the children change to get the power to make their school safer. And some group of students who checked if the dangerous places they found through photo voice were changed to safer place after the class, it's just that they come up with so many ideas to like creating posters, making presentations for the school, like morning assembly or writing a manuscript for a school broadcast. And they have so many ideas. They just, their eyes just open to modify the school environment. It's just, they learn the passive approach to create a safer school. The students have become enjoyed making changes. That's become a huge part to bring a social change. And the photo voice is just one way to do that. So I hope many photo voice projects conduct in Japan in the future. Oh, that's beautiful. That is the essence of what we want to do is to give power and make change. And you know that that sense of agency, that sense of ownership, that sense of self-pride is going to be with them their whole life. They'll see it in other aspects. So it's you didn't only change the school, you changed a bunch of youth that are now going to be potential change agents and other facets of their communities. That's beautiful. You know, because we're picture people, I had to look up and I'm going to pull up on the screen your school. Is that not your school? Oh, yes. 
I love Google Earth and I love <laughs> the fact that we can be so image-based and I could explore your school. We have the pictures you shared, but just to see your school on the map, in the city streets, the images from the school, it's just delightful. And we're just so grateful you shared this story with us and that we can share it with other people, that other people can learn from it, right? Makiko, you're an inspiration. I really hope you keep doing this work. I'm so excited that you got a chance to share your work with us and we got a chance to explore it with you in this podcast. And just, you really have taught me something new about working with kids in the absolute thrill and enjoyment that it is. Thank you so much for being here today. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the HPP podcast. If you enjoyed this content, let us know by tagging us or responding to our promotions on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can also find out more about the Health Promotion Practice Journal from Sage or Sophie's websites. All of these links can be found on the podcast website at anchor.fm forward slash health dash promotion dash practice. Take care and have a great day.